want you to join me today in a scripture passage that is found in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, or Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 6, and I want you to join me there today because we're going to look at a critical doctrine of our church and of any church. It is the doctrine of Christ where the Bible teaches that Jesus is not only God's Son, but He's God. And I want to take you there and show you in the Scriptures uh, several places. You're going to take a little tour with me today, all right? And we're going to go on a tour, a journey, and see that the Scriptures bear record that not only is He the Christ, the Son of the living God, He is God. So we're going to cover that. If that's ever been confusing to you or you don't know about that, man, I want to share with you from God's Word the truth of that passage in Isaiah chapter 9. Join me there, Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verse 6 and 7. In fact, it's just such a cool passage. I read it last week, and I think I read it the week before. But uh, let's stand up and let's read it again, all right? The Word of God, just on its own. And I'm reading from the NIV text, and it reads as follows, and here's what it says. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, I'm praying I don't get stuck right there right now, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This passage was written over 740 years before Jesus walked the earth. You need to understand when we come and hear the word of God, we're hearing the word of God. You're reading a prophecy with me that was centuries before Jesus, God's Son, walked this earth. And these truths were made clear about Him. Amazing, amazing stuff. When we come to church, it's not just a ho-hum, it's another Sunday, a little football this afternoon, and lunch before that. Today, you are hearing the Word of God. You are in the presence of God And don't take that lightly. Let's pray together. I'm already preaching, huh? Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for this scripture passage. Thank you for this incredible truth about Jesus. Help us not to take this for granted, but to really be reminded and be struck with awe and reverence today of who it is that we have living inside of us that you are the mighty God. And Lord, we pray that some here today that may not have made him their Lord and Savior would join us in having their sins forgiven and having Jesus be Lord in their lives. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. This mighty God name that's given in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is such a profound truth in Scripture. And I want to give, I I have finite words to offer the infinite one and describe him today, and my words will fail. I know that already. I need God's inspiration, God speaking through me 
to just convey to you a little bit of who Jesus is as the mighty God. Now I want you to look because there's a couple of translations that translate this passage as this, that he's the illustrious one or the shining one. And those are good, but that doesn't really drive home this message, and that is this. I want to ask this question. I want you really to consider it with me. Is Jesus God? Was he, is he, and is to come God? And I want to share with you just some things about that. Now take the word that we have before us, mighty God in our English translation, and if you go to the Hebrew, here's what the name is that's there. It's El Gabor. El Gabor. El is always associated with God. It's always tied to God. Many times in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament, it was tied to a meaning of God. And you'll see El Shaddai. You'll see others that are listed uh, for us that give credence to that. But it's always a divine name. Now the term El means mighty one. In fact, it should be translated even in our vernacular as the mightiest of ones. And here's the amazing thing about Gabor. Gabor in Hebrew carries this concept. Listen to this. It means strong or mighty one. So we have God blitzing us with a single thought about himself, his character, his personality. God is telling you, I'm the mightiest of the mighty. I am the one that's above all the rest. I'm the one that has ultimate strength, ultimate power. El Gabor is all about a double hit of God is strong and stronger. God is stronger than all the rest. And some of you need to take that home today and translate that into your life. That whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, whether it's health issues, whether it's family issues, whether it's a job issue, or anything else that's troubling your heart and your mind, let Jesus steal your heart today and calm you because here's the reality. He is stronger than anything in your life. He is El Gabor. Stronger, mightier than all the rest. But this question bears our asking. Was Jesus God? It doesn't kind of go together when we talk about him being the Son of God. And I just want to share with you a little bit from Scripture that I think will help you with that. So how do we know that Jesus is the mighty God? He's declared some 740 years before Jesus, the person, walked the earth. He's declared as the mighty God. And in this Scripture, I want to share with you what that means and what we can see come true about that. Look at this first principle here. I'm going to tell you that he is the mighty God because the scriptures say so. The scriptures say so. The scriptures say so. Now, if the scriptures tell me something once, for Barry Jude, me, that's enough. It's true. It's divine truth being imparted through his word, and I know that it's true. Listen, if it says something two times, three times, four times, I'm starting to catch on from God Almighty that he's given us a message, and it's a repeated message, therefore it's a central truth. It's a central truth to the character, the doctrine of the Christ who's always been. I want to share this with you as well. The Bible tells us that the Old Testament proclaims his deity. I want to take you to the book of Genesis 
chapter 1, verse 26, an amazing thing takes place in that passage. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus, chapter 4, that God is one. The Bible also tells us that God is more than one. Before you brand me a heretic, hear me out. In Genesis chapter 1, I want you to hear this passage. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it reads like this, Then God said, now listen how God speaks of himself, and even in English translation, you don't even need to see the Hebrew here, you'll see it translated this way. Here's what it says, Let us, plural, when you use the, frame, the, the term us, you're talking in a plural sense, aren't you? Let us, he says, make man in our plural image. Listen to the rest of it. In our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock all the earth, over all the earth, and all creatures that move along the ground. Isn't that neat that God made us in charge of his planet? Have we done a good job? Well, some might say yes on some things, and other things we may, we may not say, say that. But here's the amazing thing from this passage. The word that's used is why it's translated in all these translations as us. Let us make man in our plural image. It's the term in the Hebrew text, Elohim. Elohim is an interesting, we talked about El Gabor today, there's El again, so strong one, but Elohim is always translated in a plural form. God is more than just one. Here's here's your bombshell. Now this is where I'm going to give you a math lesson, all right? Now you know I'm not a professor of math, but I'm going to give you one today. And here's my math equation. Did you know in the Bible, 1 equals 3, and 3 equals 1? And it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Did you know that? You say, Pastor, that's not right. 1 does not equal 3, and 3 does not equal 1. I beg to differ with you. If you believe in divine inspiration of the Scripture, you're getting ready to hear my pitch. Here it comes. God has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the same God that says, I'm one. They are so in sync with one another that they have different personalities, different roles, and God decided to show himself to us that way. And you ought to be so glad he gave us Jesus. Amen? He's your ticket out of here. He's your ticket to heaven. And he also gave us the Holy Spirit so we could have him teach us the truth about God and he could indwell us and live in us. So when we talk about Jesus as the mighty God, here's the bombshell. God lives in you. He really is God. Now, if the scriptures say something and then it's repeated, as I said, you've got a theme. You've got a major theme on this subject that's spoken about again and again in the Bible, but he tells us that Elohim in itself, in this original statement in the book of Genesis, speaks. Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Let me just go ahead and say that, because if you don't know that already, the Jehovah's Witnesses will come to your house, and they will tell you that, did you know the Trinity is not in the Bible? And I always say, yeah, but it's all through it. 
the word's not there. No, it's not. But the concept and the reality of the Trinity. Go to Paul's letters and you'll see it over and over. You'll see it in other letters such as Jude. That's a great book, by the way, you know. And James. And you'll see it in other formulas where they have greetings and they have uh, a greeting and they have a benediction at the end of those great books. They were letters. But look at them and you'll see Trinitarian formulas in those letters. It's amazing. Because, yes, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is throughout Scripture. It goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's an amazing thing because, see, in God's mathematical equation, one equals three and three equals one. They're all the same, but they have different personalities, different projections of the different roles and ministries that they perform. And when Jesus put on flesh and became a man, you got a glimpse of God. You really did. Check this out. Jesus proclaimed his deity. Do you remember when he stood before, there were times where he wouldn't tell them all uh, about who he was? But there was a time before the high priest. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And he's asked this question by the high priest. Jesus is standing before the high priest. And the high priest says, are you the son of the living God? And he says, yes. Jesus responds. It is as you said, Jesus replied, but I tell you, I tell, but I, to all of you, in the future, will, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, if you are a good Bible student, you know what happened next. What happened? What did the high priest do in response to the words of Jesus? to claim to be the Son of God, to claim to be the Son of Man, to claim to be this person that he just identified. Yes, what you said about me is true. What did the high priest do? The Bible tells us that he tore open his robe. Why? Because he believed he just heard blasphemy. See, if somebody's a son, they just, they just established that they are equal. A son may be smaller as they begin to grow in our lives, but they are just as much human as the other individual, huh? They're just as much a a human as the father is, correct? That's why he tore his, his robe that day. The disciples proclaimed his deity in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. You may remember Jesus had, uh, in fact, he told Simon Peter that you got this by inspiration of God. You didn't get this on your own. But here's what he said. He says uh, in that passage that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. An amazing statement. How about that passage in John chapter 1, verse 1? It sounds so much like Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? And there's a play on words there. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have all covered who Jesus is, the baby in Bethlehem, how God wrapped himself in flesh and dwelt among us, and his name was Jesus. So John says, well, you've heard that already. Let me share with you another version of this. Let me talk about the Christ who's always been. So he says, in the beginning was the word in the NIV text or in your translation. In the beginning was the Word. It's the term logos. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Listen to this because this will help you with your math. The Word was with God. Separate identities, right? And the Word was 
God. How about that? It was God. He was God. God dwelt among us. When I went to seminary, I didn't choose Southwestern. I went to Southern Seminary because I was pastoring in Kentucky already. I know I messed up, right? And I'll tell you this. I was doing my Master's uh, of Divinity there, and uh, the school was going through a really tough time. Uh, There were some professors that just weren't affirming the Scriptures. They weren't teaching Orthodox Christianity. And uh, we just had some stuff going on in those days. That's all changed since then. It's all been cleaned up, I'll, I'll tell you that. I was a student there when it started, when it started changing. Well, anyway, I took a professor, and I won't even say his name because it doesn't matter now. But I took a professor because I was told he was the most conservative theology professor there at the school. And on the very first day of class in theology, the first theology class I had there, first year, I go in and I'm thinking this guy is just sound as, uh, as can be. And the, one of the things he starts talking about things we believe and have in our backpack as we come to, to seminary and from our churches. And, and then we're going to unpack that backpack and explore everything and dissect it and take it apart. And then hopefully you'll be able to put some truth back in your backpack and go on through life with it. And he brought up, he said, and this is one of the things that, that really, really sent me for a loop. He said, he said that he did not believe the virgin birth was essential part of the theology about Jesus Christ. I'm sitting there and I'm, I mean, I just kind of fall back in my seat. And I've already gotten tagged because, see, I, I came there from Liberty University. And they didn't like Jerry Falwell, and they didn't like the moral majority, and they didn't like, and so I, I caught that all the time. I caught, hey, I hear we got, I got one professor one time in an ethics class that said, I hear we have somebody from Liberty here. Would you please stand up? There's 200 students in that class. So I got, I got some treatment sometimes. So anyway, here's what took place. He goes on to say, he said, I personally believe that Jesus and could be the child of Mary and Joseph and be the third son or the fourth son, and he still could have been the son of God. I thought, that's it. I'm up, and I found myself up. You, you ever do that where you don't plan on getting up? You don't, you're you're going to be quiet, kind of ride low, not make a stir. But it just, I mean, I was up. I was up. I couldn't stop it. I, was, I just jumped up. Amen. He called on me. And there was three or four more people after me. But I said, sir, the virgin birth is essential to the deity of Jesus Christ. And he said, don't, don't believe that. Three or four more got up after me. I thought, man, alive, this is my theology professor. I mean, I was already starting to really struggle. I was like, wow, I may, I may need to drop this class and take another. And if the others are worse, what else will I hear? And uh, he invited a few of the other professors to come in, and it did get worse. I'll just tell you that. But there was three or four of us that questioned that. And then he said, as I said before, 
the virgin birth, he said, let me tell you this. I believe it happened because it's recorded in Scripture. But I don't believe it's essential. I believe God is so powerful, he could have taken the child of Joseph and Mary, third or fourth child, and that been the very Son of God. I'm like, man, you've lost me. I'm out of there. You know why I'm out of there? Because I want to share with you a second principle here, and that's this. Look at this. In the Scriptures... Not only do we have all these declarations that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. We have passages, and I I didn't even read these, but there's ones like in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 that Paul gives testimony. For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Did you hear that? All, all, all the form of God dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ that walked among among us here on the earth. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, we have Paul saying this incredible thing that Jesus is of the same substance as God the Father. If you're of the same sub- substance, you're the same, aren't you? Like a father and a son. The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians, and this is kind of a lengthy passage, but you need to hear it. Here's what he said. You want to hear a passage? Colossians is full of these passages that speak about Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is God himself. Listen to this. It says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is, the, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together and he is the among the dead uh and and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that every everything he might have supremacy may have the supremacy for god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him listen to that and through him and to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on a cross Bam! Bam! That's who Jesus is. He's the son of the living God, but he's God himself. Listen, if one doesn't equal three for you and three equal one because God says so, you need to change your math. He has revealed himself in just that fashion. He has given us Trinitarian statements and he gives us this. Now, I believe also because of Here's another reason I believe he's, he is the mighty God, because his sinlessness says so. Did you know that? How did he get sinless? How did that happen? Oh, back to that virgin conception. My story jumped my point, all right? I just wanted to tell that story, and I jumped my point, but here's the point. Because his sinlessness says so. See, sinlessness because of his conception. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 Verse 14, we have this incredible passage that says these words, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. Now, if you read on in the New Testament, this was some 735 to 40 years before Christ walked the earth. Listen to this New Testament fulfillment in the very Hebraic book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And here's what it says there. It says, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Listen to the rest of it. 
there in verse 22 and verse 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said throughout the prophet, the virgin will be with child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Did you hear that? Emmanuel brings that home to us. Not only will Jesus save us from our sin, this biblical, historical man that walked the earth, but through the Christ, God in heaven who came and wrapped himself in flesh, God is with us. With us. Jesus Christ, if you're his child, he lives in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? Y'all, you can, y'all can say amen. Now, we're on Jesus this morning, and we're just talking about the goodness of God and Jesus coming and living in your life. And surely you can get excited about that. Amen? And it can come out as an amen. If you have to say a hallelujah, go ahead and jump on it. If you're Baptocostal, have at it. Uh, Listen to this. He tells us in the scriptures that he was sinless because he was the Christ. You may remember Pilate was judging him. And he had been brought to that uh, kangaroo court situation. And he was brought. And here's what he says. John chapter 18, verse 38, he says, and here's what Pilate said. He said, uh, I find no basis of charge against him. And the King James, many of you know it this way, he says, I find no fault in him. Listen, I have watched this through the years. People will take on Jesus, one person after another, and they'll take on the church. And Lord, if they gripe about the church, there's plenty to gripe about. There's hypocrisy there left and right, right? I mean, let's admit it. Let's admit it, right? I mean, it's just there. But if you really look at Jesus, and it's happened so many times, think about Josh McDowell and this great theologian and, and uh, uh, apologetist for, for God in these years. It all started out for him that he set out to disprove Christianity and to be able to teach that in college. He wanted to prove that Jesus was not real, and his book that he writes that Jesus was more than a carpenter is that testimony of his conversion. And he has been so faithful to write on good things like that. How many of you know the story? And boy, he's written all kinds of books. He was an investigative reporter. And uh, his wife went to Willow Creek Church. Everybody know this story? If you don't, it's a great story. His wife came to Christ. Goes to Willow Creek Church there outside of Chicago. And he gets so mad about what's going on that he sets out to disprove Christianity to show her she is, she is bought into a bunch of hogwash. And he starts studying Jesus. And he goes to one. He just starts investigating this like he did. He's an investigative reporter. And now he has all kinds of books. One, one thing he came to is that he, he quoted uh, the great uh, mind across the pond that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And he came to the conclusion, like Josh Mendow and many others, that he's Lord. He really is who he said he is. Listen, it's happened over and over and over and over again where people have taken that on. He was sinless because he was the Christ. He was conceived different. Listen, if Jesus could have been the third or fourth child of Joseph and Mary, then he'd be just like us. And we'd still be in our sin. The virgin conception is essential to the doctrine of salvation that is in Jesus Christ. It makes him different from us, doesn't it? He's distinct. He is the seed of God. 
He's fully human, but fully God, isn't he? Oh, man, this is so central to what we believe about Jesus. It's so important that you believe about him, his virgin birth. Listen, because of his sacrifice, his sacrifice says so too. Listen to this. John's testimony, he's baptizing in the River Jordan. He's a half-cousin to Jesus, and I I put emphasis on half-cousin to Jesus. And you can figure that out or ask me later if you're not catching my drift there. But he has Jesus walking up on the shoreline, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that an awesome testimony he gives, and he's baptized himself? There's testimony of Paul. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, talking about Jesus, and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Do you know that if you confess him and mean that in your heart in this lifetime, you have salvation for that? If you confess him in the lifetime to come, it's not going to do anything. You're permanently locked in, heaven or hell. Listen, here's the bottom line. Everyone that ever existed is going to, millions into the billions of people are going to profess that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. It makes all the difference if you do it here and crown him as Lord of your life and let him guide and lead your life. you got heaven as a reward and you've got him guiding your life here. If you do not, if you do not, you're still going to confess him anyway. Isn't that something? You're still going to confess Jesus. Everybody, did you hear the passage? We have it on God's, God's word. Every knee is going to do what? They are going to bow. Every tongue is going to do what? It's going to confess. See, it, everybody's going to come to this truth. Everybody. If you do it in this lifetime, Boom! Salvation! You get him leading your life. You do it in the lifetime to come, and you're still in hell. How about that? See, everybody's going to agree with God because God has the final word, period. Not us. Not us. I uh, was, was watching that movie, Doctor Strange, Anybody see that movie? For some reason, I just didn't want to see that one. So I watched it on TV the other day. And I really got into it. But you know, one of the things that the teacher said to Dr. Strange is, you've got to come to something. It's not about you. You remember her saying that right before she died? It's not about you. Do you know that that's what you have to come to in this life? That it's not about you and it's not going to end up the way you say? You take God at his way and his, his will, and it will radically change your life. Listen to this. Because of Paul says in that testimony, that's, that's going to be the way it is. Every knee will bow. Last of all, look at this. Because his saints say so. Those that have gone before us, and man, there's so many that have gone before us, seen in the lives of the apostles who gave up their livelihoods and followed Jesus for three and a half years, doing what he was doing and just being with him and then there were so many others that have done that throughout his history that have given up important careers to follow Christ important journeys and seen in the lives of those that know him 
not just in the past, but in the present. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt where? Among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to tell you something. When I was 13 years old, Jesus stopped by my house. He really did. He stopped by my house. And I tell you that story, and I've told you parts of it before. Some of you haven't heard it before, but I'll tell you this. My mom and I were on our own with my little brother. She'd been married twice, divorced, going through some tough days. And uh, it was a very abusive situation. It was dangerous for her. It was dangerous for me and my little brother. And we finally, she just left. She was done. She started dating this guy named Ernie Jude. Oh, filled in the blank, didn't I? She started dating this guy. She told me that he's a really nice man and that he was a Christian and he's a deacon at a Baptist church here. And I thought, well, what does that mean? He's so religious they gave him some kind of zealot award or something. What is that? I mean, I didn't know. I, I wasn't a church guy. And at 12, 13, I was already smoking my first marijuana and cigarettes every day. And anytime I could get a drink of something, I mean, I was, I was serving the God of pleasure. That's what I was about even at that young, young age. I was messed up. I had watched a lot of garbage in my life, stuff that just shouldn't be. Men beating wives, men beating their, their children, stepfathers beating their stepfather. My first dad, he died when... My stepdad died when he was 17, alcohol, he was cirrhosis of the liver. I went to his funeral my senior year of high school. I mean, it, this garbage, stuff that shouldn't be in any of our lives. People in captivity, people angry, people latching out at others. And I'll just tell you this, Ernie Jude showed up at our house and I thought, there's not any men that nice. That wasn't my experience. I had an awesome grandfather, and he had died the year before. Ernie Jude showed up at our house, and he smiled all the time. I thought, something's wrong with him. Something is wrong with him. Anyway, you know the story I've told you before. He asked me if uh, they loved my mom, and he told me at that same ball game at halftime that he loved me and my little brother, and he knew that me and my little brother never had a dad. And he said, I'd like to be your dad, and I don't want to marry your mom. I want to marry your mom, you, and your little brother. I want you to be my kids. I want to raise you. Man, I got emotional, even there. So he started taking me to a church, same church Kimma grew up in, only she was there the whole time. I think she was born one day, and then the next day they took her to church. That's just, that's, that was her life. Christian family, the Johnson family, just a great family there. Anyway, so I'm at this church. I go to this church, and I'm like, man, now all these other people are like Ernie. They're all, hey, how you doing? They're smiling. I'm like, something's wrong with all you people. You're taking drugs or something. I mean, I had no idea what was going on yet, but it spooked me. And... All of them started talking to me about, guess who? 
not just my family, and they were excited about this and my new journey with my dad and being a family, and we're so glad. They, I mean, they just loved on me, but they told me, they started talking to me about Jesus all the time. Can you imagine that? I mean, it was a bunch of them. And you know what I did? I lied to them because I had come to the conclusion if you told somebody you already are one, they'll leave you alone. I did not know about the Holy Spirit and that he keeps knocking and he keeps working on your heart and revealing himself to you. And all these people kept acting so strange. I'm like, nobody's this happy. So I was a skeptic for quite a while. God knocked on my heart one night in a church service and revealed to me my sin, and he also revealed to me who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, that he's the mighty God that put on flesh and came and dwelt among us. And I remember I said no that night, and it was two more years before I said yes and gave my life to Christ when I was 15 years old. And I want to tell you something, the one single regret I have in my life is that I could have known Jesus two years before when he spoke to me the first time, and I didn't because I was so busy checking out this church. I told them, yeah, I raised my hand at church camp and gave my heart to Jesus. And I did raise my hand at a church camp my mom sent me to, but I just raised my hand. The pastor said, does anybody need to be prayed for that doesn't know Christ? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. But that's where it ended for me. I didn't give my life over to him. But I told all those people, yeah, I raised my hand at church camp and gave my heart to Jesus. Sometimes people can see through your lies, can't they? And some of those good people were able to do that, including Ernie Jude. Ernie Jude did that. I tell you that story because I'm one of millions into probably billions of people now that made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. And I'm here to tell you, I know he's God because he changed this old boy. This little dope-smoking punk that was running the streets and getting in fights is your pastor. God did that. That's who is your pastor now. Boy, did I come a long way. And Kimmel would tell you I still have a ways to go. God's been so good to me, I can't even stand it at times. It's just, it's just that good, that rich, that powerful. He's the mighty God that changed my life. He stopped at my house, and maybe he'll stop at yours today and change your life. He's so powerful. He can do just that for you. He's God's son. Listen to this. The Bible tells us that there are so many that have testified. I could just talk about so many from history, so many from, but time's gone. I can't, I don't have time to talk to you about all those. I'm going to leave those out, and I'll just simply say this to you. He's changed hundreds, thousands, millions, into the billions now of people's lives because he is the mighty God. I want you to think about God living in you. It'll move you. It ought to move you in a mighty way. If you're here today and you're without Jesus Christ, I want to end this service by having a prayer. And this service will end with this prayer, and it could change your life. If you've never invited Jesus Christ, God's Son, the mighty God, into your heart and in your life, the Bible says He died on a cross for you. He not only came, wrapped Himself in flesh, but He died on a cross for your sin. He rose again the third day to give you life. He whipped your sin and conquered your biggest foe of death 
in one blow like that. Isn't that amazing? And he gives us eternal life. I've never gotten over what Jesus did for me. And boy, when I figured it out and I got that truth in my heart, my life has had meaning and purpose ever since. I want you to bow your head with me. I'm going to pray a prayer. This is the prayer I prayed with a pastor at the altar the day I gave my life to Christ when I was 15. And here's what I prayed. And you can repeat this with me right now and mean it in your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me for my sin. I turn away from my sin. And I turn now to your son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. I believe he died on the cross for me. He rose again the third day to give me life. God, thank you for loving me. And I want to tell you I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.